Hello and welcome to another episode of the Indie Alternative Podcast. It's me, Chris. On this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Charlie Stone. Charlie is arguably one of the most hardworking guitarists in the UK right now. And she's played with and is playing with so many fantastic bands, um, including Salad, Gay Dad, Night Nurse, and recently has been playing with Sleeper on tour. We talk a little bit about that and also her musical influences, life on the road and writing and recording her own solo material. A really fascinating conversation with Charlie and she was extremely generous with her time. So thank you so much for that. Before we hit the interview, here's another reminder of all the ways that you can support the podcast. You can follow me on social media and the links are in the show notes. You can leave a rating and write a review. That helps me get to new listeners and really helps as well. And lastly, if you want to support the podcast financially, that would be fantastic too. Links are also in the show notes. So that's it for the waffle. Here's Charlie. Welcome to the podcast, Charlie Stone. How are you? Not bad, thanks. How are you? I'm all right. Yeah, good. <laughs> Bearing up from this stormy, uh, stormy last couple of days we've had. Uh, whereabouts are you? I'm in North London. Um, it wasn't too bad here, although, well, I thought it wasn't too bad. And then and then I looked out of my house the next day in the house across the road, a whole wall had been blown in on it. Yeah. <laughs> um, you've been really busy. I mean, I know you just off mic, you just said you've got a little bit of a time to yourself to sort of uh, rest. But I mean, you're probably one of the, the hardest working guitarists in the UK, aren't you? Um, I probably give that impression because I play in all the bands, but, um, I don't feel like I'm especially hard work and I just, I just, I'm I'm quite varied in what I do more than, more than like, especially busy. I go for a busy period, you know, and I, yeah, I was, I was really busy a lot of last year, what with one thing and another, but at the moment for a few weeks, things have quietened down. What's it been like for you now that sort of, you know, we are unlocking everything and uh, COVID no longer exists. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, getting back on stage and in mingling with, you know, band members and audiences, a bit, but it's been pretty rewarding for you. I mean, it's been amazing. I mean, I, I mean, I did this asleep, you know, the tour with Sleeper last mm. summer and having, I mean, I've, I've spent, I've, you know, I've been in bands since I was a teenager and I'm quite old now. So I had not, until the pandemic, I don't think there'd been a single month. I don't think I've been more than two weeks in my adult life without at least going to a gig, but, or, but you know, probably playing gigs. I don't think I've been more than, even even when I sort of was between bands, I've, I don't think I've been more than two months without playing a gig. So to go for like months and months and months without doing anything, the feeling when it came back to it, and you could feel everybody in the room everybody you know band audience crew everyone was just so overjoyed to be there mm. I don't think I'll ever experience at all like that again I think it was so much you know it was it's so much part of of its time you know the fact that we'd all been starved with this for so long yeah made it pretty euphoric but it's, I was still you know really nervous about stuff as well then and every, every day every time I did a lateral flow test I was just bricking it that it would come up positive and you know the gigs would be off and everything and and I'm still I'm still you know I'm continuing to test and I'll continue to test and I'll continue to wear a mask out and about you know but I mm. I don't have that anxiety anymore I think it's, it's like anything else the more you do something the more psychologically you feel you, you, you sort of lose your nerves about stuff 
Um, whereas the opposite applies, of course, if you if you you know get an electric shock from from something, you you're nervous about touching it every single time afterwards. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. In terms of so gigging and stuff, or at least just not gigging, but going to gigs. I mean, how important is it for you to just keep you know keep tabs on what's going on out there and and supporting bands that you know and and new music? That's harder to answer because. I don't know how much that is uh, partly because I have to sort of both for doing my own gigs, but also for doing the work I was doing until recently, I had, I had to stay. It's really important that I tried not to get COVID basically. I mean, it's important that all of us don't, but I was, Mm. I was like exceptionally just like, I cannot afford to get this. So I had, I have to say I'd been going to fewer gigs than I used to. I used to go to, you know, a lot of gigs, but I don't think I've ever really felt like I need to keep tabs on what's going on. I kind of like to just do my own thing, really. But I, I it's just a social thing, really. Well, it's not mm. just a social thing. I love, I love, there's nothing I enjoy more in terms of like going out than being in front of a stage in a small venue and feeling the sound coming off the amps into my chest, you know, that kind of physical, visceral feeling. I haven't done that as much lately. And um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I am with that yet. Yeah, I would be doing more of it if I wasn't. Every time I do, every time I'm at a gig, I kind of feel like I have to be careful for a few days afterwards. And because I'm playing quite a lot of gigs, that doesn't leave much time for yeah anything else, you know. Well, where did it all begin with you then, uh, Charlie? In terms of like getting into music and mm-hmm. you know finding inspiration to become a musician. Well, I mean, I started playing in bands when I was seventeen. I, I got my first guitar when I was 15, a little Spanish acoustic guitar that I I bought for a tenor or something off, off someone that was at my youth club. But it was all because of Duran Duran. Duran Duran are to blame for everything. Because <laughs> I, I was not, I wasn't particularly into pop music when I was a kid. I didn't really, I was really uncool. I, I knew, I was really into musicals and I was into classical music. Um, a little bit. I didn't have a vast knowledge of it. Or it was mostly musicals, to be honest. Mm. And then, um, but then I just then I remember when I was a teenager. I just started the high school. I was twelve years old, and I was like, I need to start getting into pop music because I'm really uncool and I need to make friends. And I put on Top of the Pops, and one of the first times I watched Top of the Pops, Duran Duran would were it had their Union of the Snake video. And I was just completely obsessed with them ever since then because it, it was because it wasn't just music. It was like you know the, the the Union of the Snake video. It's kind of a Mad Max kind of like like mini film. Yeah, and, and I just loved the whole. And also their music was not anyone else's. It was it was you know there was it was a much more layered and lots of different things going on in it. So it was just almost like being taken into this mysterious parallel world, and. Um, I think before then I'd always kind of wanted to be in musicals when I grew up was a kind of a, a pipe dream, you know. And then it was like, no, I want to I want to be in a band and create create my own world, create my own kind of artistic world around me. That's what I want to do. Um, I really wanted to be Nick Rhodes. I wanted to have like play keyboards and synthesizers and make incredible, you know, weird sounds that hadn't existed before. But that was totally out of my um, out of any kind of range for me, like musically, financially didn't know where I'd even get a sense from etc but 
you know, somebody had a guitar, I could buy a guitar, like, okay, I'll be a guitarist then. That's what happened. But did you have any kind of guitar heroes and anybody that you like, looked up to and thought, you know, this not is the sound point. I want? No, not at all. When I, when I, start, when I first started playing, I, I was into U2 when I first started playing as well, early U2. So I guess that them a bit. I, used, I think I two of the first things I learned to play were, t- were U2 songs. Yeah, the frantic spiders. So I mean that that in itself sort of indicates what kind of music you were playing. Um, yeah, it, it, actually, I don't think the name really does. And I, I remember when somebody we got a, a little article in in Melody Maker when we first started out, and which specifically said that we, you would we our music was not like you would expect from the name, um, because we I think we um when we formed that band we were all quite young. We all, we all wanted to be the female U two right that was our ambition and we and then we were all we became really into things like throwing muses and pixies and we all had and we all had quite different influences as well over over the course of about two years we all got into different stuff so you know one of us was more of a goth one of us was more of a punk and we and and but the key thing we wanted to do was was to weave together our influences um and, and to me that was very much like I love throwing muses and I love the way that they they created songs were which didn't sound like anything else and it just had like guitar lines and bass lines and vocal lines all kind of coming at the song from different angles mm. and that was what we we tried to do okay I think politically I was really excited by the riot girl scene and I loved going to a lot of those gigs and of course we got a lot of gigs as a result of it but that was but that was we we'd always been going for a couple of years when that whole scene came along um, it kind of that kind of scene inspired us to like we, we put out our own first um, seven inch because of that. I think otherwise we'd have just been sat there waiting for someone to come along and agree that we were the female U2 and assign us to a major <laughs> label. You know, yeah. and then we and then we realised actually we can like we can like we can organise our own gigs and we can and we can sort of do things in a community with other women and we can and we can um you know put out our own record and stuff like that it that was it was more of a political thing i think than a musical thing looking back at the 90s era then of your career salad uh, you joined in sort of what 96 97 yeah 96 um, how did you get that gig how did that uh, come about so i was in london that's i'd already i'd moved to london and um my band frantic spiders had split up around sort of may or something in 1996 and i was thinking what shall i do now you know shall i join someone else's band shall i form a new band and a couple of my friends said no you should you're a really good guitarist you should you should just go and play with a band that assigned kind of thing you know they said you know just go out there and and sort of do that for a bit and um i wasn't close friends with debbie smith at the time but she was a friend of a friend and she and she sort of said oh I can put her in touch with some people and um she basically told Salad to give me a call and and also Marcella Detroit (laughs) my first my first audition was for Marcella Detroit Uh um and I and I did that one to be honest I went to that audition partly because I was like I'd never done an audition before and I I really wanted to do the Salad audition and I was like if I if I'm going to do an audition I, I need to get used to doing auditions you know mm. so I went to this this um audition with Marcella Detroit in Noma Studios and it was all super glitzy and she's such a pro you know and she had this a really pro band around it and I sort of plugged in my my guitar and 
and played quite badly, but apparently looked really cool. So, you know. <laughs> Which <laughs> is half the battle. <laughs> yeah. So after that, I was like, I was so nervous with that, but I was kind of like, okay, well, if I've auditioned for Marcella Detroit, I can I can audition for anyone. And I went along to this audition with Salad. It, 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 was, it was great. I just remember walking through the door, slipping down on my way in, there was nobody in the room. I was like, oh, that's a relief. And they, and they all came in for like 10 minutes later. I went, oh, hello, you're here. And I went, yeah, you just missed me falling down on my ass as I came in. And they all laughed. And I think we just clicked instantly and we just got on from the start. Yeah. And then with the elusive gay dad, uh, mm. uh, tell me about the sort of that band. I mean, they would you say that they are... Um, Oh, I could use the term elusive because we don't really hear anything from, from apart from yourself that band. But they <laughs> they they kind of came and went, but they left kind of quite a, a bit of a legacy, I'm guessing. Because was it two albums for, for Gay Dad, or was it three? I can't remember. I think it was just two. I mean, it was only one while I was around. I didn't know. Yeah. In fact, it was definitely just two. They split up after the second one. But what what was what? How did that band come about? Because they were amazing. That was a weird one because I was. They, I, I was courted by their um, their manager. Basically, they they had been signed. They, I think they kind of two of them knew each other from like school or childhood or whatever, and they 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 kind of got this band, but they'd not really done much in terms of playing live. But they'd made some really great demos, and they'd got signed to London Records for quite quite a big amount of money. Um, which gave them the luxury of then they they did the whole thing you know where a record company sends them out on tour just to sort of you know get them used to playing live and then the record company were like well you kind of need another member because there's the you know the guy that plays your rhythm guitar he's put loads of keyboards on the demos and it'd be nice if we had both elements you know mm. so they um they they were sort of on notice they should find someone else and I and I'd been recommended by a few people in the music industry apparently and this so this guy because he heard my name from several directions he became convinced I was the one for the band and um he started calling me at work I was work I was doing this like job this data entry job at the time and I just kept getting these calls from this guy coming I'm yeah I'm managing this band they're really good um we need we need a guitarist and we keep hearing your name and I just kept saying yeah, but I'm in a band. I'm not interested. I'm, I've already got a band. But he was really persistent. <laughs> and eventually I just said, look, I'll come and meet you for a drink. Fine, I'll come and meet you for a drink. So I went I went and met him. He was like, I'll, I'll send a car to pick you up. I'm like, no, it's fine. I, I can get the tube, you know, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll come. And I went and met him at, at Universal's offices because that was where he worked, this guy. And we went to the pub and we had a really good chat. And he gave me this, like, this um, video that they'd made for the demo version of um, To Earth With Love and a CD with some other stuff they were working on. And I took it home and watched the video and listened to the CD. And I was like, this is really good. And I was mm. like, okay, I am interested now. Oh, Jim, I think is one of my favourite songs of all time. It's on oh, my top. Really? Yeah, I love that song. Where do you sort of find the inspiration or how does it come about you sort of joining other bands? Does And, and, and are you just so well known now on the sort of scene or the circuit that you're kind of like the go-to person to add, to add something think, to it, add the flavour? <laughs> I, th- I mean, I think there's probably an element of that now. I, the thing is, like, for years I was, I was quite monogamous with bands in the past. I was, I mean, like I've just said to you, I said to Gay Dad's manager when he phoned me, no, I've got a band, I'm not interested, you know. And um, but what happened, I, because after, after Gay Dad, I was then in this band called Spy 51, um, and we were 
kind of pursuing getting a deal for a long time and we had really great songs and um but it, it, that kind of came to nothing and I think after that I was a bit just like you know I spent several years trying to get somewhere with that band and I just kind of thought okay I'm just not going to turn anything down from now on I just want to do different stuff you know mm. and um I just started playing loads of just like odd little one-off shows with people and 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 it's just become a, a, a thing the more I've done the more I've been asked to do and I've um you know this this most years well because I keep I keep a list of all the gigs that I do and all the bands that I've played with and it's, and, and sometimes I'll just do a gig a one-off gig you know with a band that's put together for one gig sometimes I'm in a band that you know I played with for years but most years over the course of the year I will play with between any anything between eight and twelve bands over the course of the year. But how do you remember all the songs, Charlie? I think it's just again, it's just you, you get the more you do, the more you get used to it. It's yeah. like I've I've kind of got a rolling repertoire of about a hundred songs all the time that I can just play. And then um, sort of, and sort of writing for yourself as well. I mean, how have you managed to sort of fit that in? Because you've released some music a couple of years ago, um, yeah. and so where does the writing come from? For yourself, I mean, what, what are you drawing upon in, in terms of influences and things there? Um, influences. See, the thing is, writing for myself because I'm doing it at home, and I, in terms of playing like live playing guitar, I play, you know, my kind of style that is when I'm on stage. I'm very much. I I think I need to be in a in a room with people, and I need to be somewhere I can make a lot of noise. And of course, doing stuff at home everything comes out quite differently because I'm, I feel, I feel very, I guess more, con- I feel more self-conscious. I don't want to make too much noise. And so things come out in a different way than they would if I was just playing with a band that I'd assembled, you know? So it's, um, I think when I'm in, in terms of stuff that I play, that I, that I write, my influences are kind of more quiet and lo-fi. I, I think things like, uh, oh, there was this album I used to love by the Josephine Wiggs Experience, which I was thinking lately. I think um, my when I'm recording stuff, there's it's it's that kind of thing, or like Young Marble Giants, or or um, Daniel Johnston, or the Modern Lovers. You know, I like I, I'm, and this is partly also because I'm actually too I don't stay focused enough to learn how to use recording equipment properly it's all right if I'm in the studio I can just say to the engineer make it sound like this and then I just yeah. and they do and then I just do it but at home I'm just like okay I'm just going to plug it in does that work yes it does oh that sounds a bit weird okay well I'll just go with it you know yeah yeah because yeah. you, you don't sort of fall on the kind of the tropes of acoustic guitar and and sing and, and vocal you kind of use the electric and still have those kind of um sort of reverb tones and things on there and that, I think that that sort of sets it apart from like the singer songwriting type stuff that could that's out there yeah well I'm, I mean I've I'm not I don't like acoustic guitars to be honest I've got one but it's terrible <laughs> so I try to avoid uh, probably if I had a really nice acoustic guitar I'd play it more but there you go um yeah I, I I like the thing is I've always really liked when I had a four track you know I, I've always just really liked the sound of a, of a of an electric guitar plugged into a four track and just recorded straight to tape I just love that sound uh again you know it's really it's really lo-fi but there's something quite um intimate about it that I like yeah I don't I don't really like things that are too overproduced a lot of the time I mean that's not a blanket thing I like I, I do like a lot of really well produced stuff but 
quite often when I'm listening to songs, I'm like, this doesn't need to be produced like that. It sounds too shiny. I wish people, had, I, I wish there's a lot of songs I hear, I think, I wish they'd just kind of plugged everything in and just played. And yeah, I think, I think for me, when things are too produced, when things are too ironed out and made too shiny, they, it's, it, it's, I wouldn't say they don't connect with me, but it's harder for them to connect to me. It has to be a really, really amazing song and really arrange, amazing arrangement for it to really get to me. Whereas a, a, a quite a quite straightforward song that's just kind of communicated in quite an immediate way will just strike you in the heart anyway. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of like playing live then on your own, how do you, you know, the first time you did that, your own music, <laughs> was that quite an easy transition for you or did was that quite it, a big deal? It was a big deal because it was also the first, my first gig, my first solo gig was also the first gig back after the pandemic. So oh, it God. was like, I was playing with Piney Gear. Um, I mean, it's her gig and I was supporting. And um, we were all saying, it's it, we've, we'd all kind of forgotten everything about playing live, you know, what it sounds like in sound check, certain little things that you have to do to set up. It, was, it just all felt, we were all just nervous because it was suddenly like, like getting back on a bike, like, you know, after having not ridden for a long time, it's fine once you get going. But the first sort of like few minutes of doing it, the first for all of us, it's like the first half an hour. It was quite wobbly and like, oh, oh, how does it go? Oh, yeah. yeah. Like that, like that. But combine that also with the fact the first time I'm singing my own songs on my own, no band. So totally exposed, you know, and I it was really nerve wracking. But I had I had rehearsed with that in mind I was like I know I'm going to be nervous I know at some point I'm going to forget something so I basically rehearsed playing the songs with with a with a kind of brain um freeze in the middle and thinking what will I do if I get a brain freeze and I just knew that I would just ride it out it was fine but it was it was yeah it's it's um I'm really enjoying it now it only it only took one like I did that one then I did another one and I was less nervous and then the last, I've done a couple since, the last one I did, I didn't feel at all nervous. I just really enjoyed it. I'm doing another solo gig next month and that'll be totally solo again. I'd really like to at some point go and um, and re-record some of the songs that I'm just recording on my own, but with a band and just see what other people bring to it. Because I, you know, I don't, I kind of, much as, I mean, I'm loving doing stuff on my own. I love doing solo stuff. I'm, I, I can't, in some ways, I can't believe it's taken me this long to do it. But I, I also think I like what other people bring to stuff. You know, I, I kind of like the idea of having different versions of songs. One that's like where I've written all the parts, and then another version where I've gone into a room with a band and gone, well, what would you bring to this? How are you going to go about choosing people to be in your band? I mean, I think it'll be probably a case of whoever's available. <laughs> Luckily, I've got a lot of people I can ask. It'd be whoever's available and who's ever, whoever is up for it at a given point. You know, oh. I don't. I, I wouldn't want. I don't think I would want to have like a a permanent band. I like. I like the idea of doing recordings and or gigs and going. Do you want to do this? You know, and just. I, I like I like things to be different each time. Like I've got, I've got a rule with my solo gigs that the set is never going to be the same for any gig. It's always going to be different. And whenever I rehearse the songs at home, they always come out different because I always just let myself sort of go wherever I'm going to go with them. So sometimes that some bits will be a bit more spoken word. Sometimes I will completely add in an extra chorus or a verse or an extended instrumental. You know, 
But how did it come about with uh, Sleeper then? Because you've you've played with them for a while now, haven't you? And I saw you play with mm. Sleeper in yeah, in that gig you mentioned earlier on last year in Portsmouth or was it Bournemouth? I can't remember. Yeah, so Sleeper, I think was I met Andy and Louise many years ago when I was in Spy Fifty One, the band I mentioned just now. They they used to come and see us play, so that was how I sort of got to know them. And then I just didn't see they moved to Brighton, and I didn't see them for years and years and years. And um. And then when the sleeper reformed and I, I just went and well, I was I went to see a gig they were playing at because Paul and Moreno from Salad were playing, were opening as Salad Undressed. And um, I sat through a lot of other bands that I did not want to see because I was like, but Andy and Louise's band are playing later. I should stay and see <laughs> them. And they came out on stage and I was just astonished at how good they were and, and how and what a great front person Louise was so I started I started going to see them whenever they played and just because I just always just felt really happy when I saw them play and I I didn't know that you know I had I hadn't really paid much attention to Sleeper back in the 90s because I didn't pay attention to a lot of a lot of Britpop bands to be honest I just that wasn't where my hat was at and I and I but I was, yeah, I was really astonished at how good they were and how happy they made me feel whenever I saw them. So I just dropped Louise a line one day and was like, if you ever need somebody, consider me available. And she's like, that is great to know. And sure enough, at some point they did need someone. So I got the call. Um, so what's it like being on tour with Sleeper then? Utterly joyful, actually, because... What I just said about going to see them play in the audience, in the audience, I always would just be watching them with a smile on my face throughout the whole gig. And now now I get to be on stage playing the songs with a smile on my face throughout yeah. the gig. So it's brilliant. And, and, they're, and they're all really lovely people. I, I just really love all of them. You know, we have, we have, we just have, we have a nice time on tour. And that's not always a given. Sometimes tours can be quite fraught and quite... Um, you know there can be a lot of tensions and 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 literally everything I've ever done with Sleeper has just been lovely. But John was saying that you bring quite a lot of energy and oh, really, of, yeah, because I mentioned to him a few weeks ago and I said that that I had I was lucky enough to have you lined up because we were talking about guests that were coming and he was interested, and he was saying that um, you definitely bring. Um, uh, just a, a, a great energy to the to the live performances and and the road as well. So that was. Well, I can tell it. you some, something. I definitely have brought is um, you know what I said to you before about how when I was a child I was really into musicals. So um, every band I've been in, whenever there's been a dressing room, because of course with some smaller bands and smaller gigs there's not always a dressing room. But whenever there is. Part of my ritual before going on stage is, is to sing a song from the shows. <laughs> Quite often one from Oklahoma. Anyway, and most fans I'm in just kind of indulge that and they're like, oh, there she goes, you know, fine, let her get her on with it. And I and my first gig with Sleeper, I started singing something probably from Oliver because that was came a, a standard. And, <laughs> and Louise and Amy both joined in. And then that became a sleeper ritual before every single gig. We were just singing songs from musicals backstage. And, um, and then John, um, actually, because one one that we're singing quite a lot was Consider Yourself from Oliver. So he he downloaded it. He said, I'm going to download that. And then the next day went, OK, I think that's our walk on music for tonight. Oh, and- yes. <laughs> I remember you coming out on that. I'm thinking, did they used to do that? I'm thinking, that was, was that something they always used to do and they brought it back for the tour? But that's yeah. you. 
<laughs> well, it, it was me. It was me, and then it. But then it was John that that actually decided that would yeah. be a good walk-on thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good. It's a good. Yeah. It's a good. Uh, good tune. It fits the band. <laughs> but it's funny because I remember we came on stage, I think it was in London, and then we were singing backstage afterwards. And um, we started singing songs from Kids from Fame. And, <laughs> and, Louise, and Louise said, this is what I've been waiting for all of my life, to come <laughs> on stage and sing Kids from Fame. <laughs> Do you have a different outlook and attitude to the whole sort of live process now from then and now? And no, in the sense that in terms of my general onstage attitude, I don't think it's changed. But what has changed is the freedom with which I play now, because when I was younger, I always knew exactly what I was going to play for a gig. Um, and some, and there are still some bands where that is the case. And, and it, I mean, for Sleeper, for example, you know, I'm playing a rhythm guitar part. It's like, that's what it is, you know. Um, but if I'm playing anything these days, if I'm playing with a gig with a band and and I'm the lead guitarist or there's sections that are that allow for it I very much just go with the moment and just play whatever comes into my head and for that I have to thank Keith Top of the Pops actually Keith Top of the Pops who I play in his band which is called Keith Top of the Pops and his minor UK indie celebrity all-star backing band (laughs) has had as many as like We've had gigs where there's been more than 20 people on stage. Um, it's generally about 10 of us. Keith has very much got the attitude of like, um, his whole thing is casual touring, right? So we do gigs and we don't sound check and we don't have rehearsals. He just tells us what the songs are and we, we turn up and everyone just plays what they want. And, um, and I remember quite early on when I started playing with him, I was like, I can't hear myself on stage because everyone else has turned up too loud. And and he went, it's all right, we'll, we'll, we'll mic up your amp as well then. So his mic, his amp and my amp were the only ones mic'd up, which then made me, like, actually more scared because he was saying that thinking I'm thinking that that would then be fed through the monitors. But no, it just meant that the audience could definitely hear what I was playing, even if I couldn't. And it was just like, so I've really got to play well. And then I remember, like, after one of the first or second gigs that we did that, just saying to him, Keith, I'm really sorry, that that that, that instrumental bit, I, I couldn't remember the chord, so I, I just made loads of noises. And he just he just went, well, just remember, Charlie Stone, whenever that happens, it's probably my favourite bit. Oh. And it just kind of, like, it was probably his whole attitude just properly released something in me and I have I've, I am so grateful to him for that because actually when I was in Gay Dad they were very keen on improvising but they had a very different way of doing it and I and I felt I did not feel comfortable doing it with them whereas Keith's got a completely different attitude and and um as a result now in in all you know whenever I'm in a band where there is that freedom or whenever I'm doing my solo stuff I I I don't I don't expect to know what I'm going to do when I get on stage. I, I love the fact that you can go on stage and whatever the night is, whatever the night's going to be, it will be, and it will not be what you planned it to be. And I love, I love the excitement of that. What's what's happening in the future? So you've got like um, the tour coming up with Sleeper, but and, and you're recording. But any other sort of gigs uh, that you're doing with other bands? Because I've seen on your Twitter page, you're sort of playing up until sort of recently. You've been playing uh, quite regularly. So what's around yeah. the corner? So I'm playing a solo gig in London on the 13th of March at the Lexington. And then in April, I've got 
over Easter weekend, I'm going on tour with Desperate Journalists, doing a few more dates. And then the following weekend, the sleeper tour starts. And then we're doing that tour and then we're playing quite a lot of festivals over the summer as well. Thank you for joining me. It's been absolutely amazing talking to you about everything. I'm glad we managed to get it sorted. Well, thanks. Thanks for inviting me on.